0: This audio podcast is available on YouTube, iTunes and Google Play. Or you can download and listen to an MP3 audio file from my website or add the RSS feed to your podcast player. If you're listening to the podcast on iTunes, I would appreciate a rating and a review. And on YouTube, subscribe to the channel and click the notification bell icon. If you enjoy an episode, a like is always welcome, as are any comments or questions you may have which you can add in the comment section below each episode. And before we begin with this episode, a quick note on the quality of the audio, should someone be wondering. The interview was recorded on a weekend when Paul took a laptop to a quiet corner of his home so that we could start recording. And I didn't wish to trouble Paul even further by requesting that we look into audio setups. It was nevertheless a great chat with Paul, and which I hope you'll enjoy. Thank you. Cheers. Although, uh, if, if people don't like, they're going straight down into David Jones's locker, so they better click the like button. And welcome to the Sim Racing Perspectives podcast for Sunday, the seventh of October, 2018. I'm delighted to have Paul Coleman on the show. Paul is well known to many dirt rally fans as the chief designer of Dirt Rally 1.0. Paul Coleman and Dirt Rally 1.0 is one of the main reasons I bought my first driving wheel, and which later led to the creation of this podcast, etc. I recall visiting a store one day and taking a photo of a Scalextrix Rally car and I don't recall what it was but I tweeted at Paul a picture of the car and Paul had replied with an image of a Scalextrix Rally Legend collector pack that he had received as a Christmas gift I think it was a 2 pack including a Delta S4 and something else um, perhaps a Quattro but I remember the name of uh, Stig Blomqvist being mentioned so what was it Paul at the time do you remember?
1: Yeah, it was that, um, I think it was a Monte Carlo edition, uh, scale electric, double pack, definitely a Delta S4 and uh, the Quattro. Um, I couldn't tell you who the drivers were, but the, the person who bought it for me was actually um, John Tucker who helped with the development of Dirt Rally One and was the rally driver in the car that I co-drove in. So that, that was his Christmas gift to me that year um well to to me and my son i think he aimed it at so that it was like when when sterling was old enough um we'd be able to play together um and obviously fight over who gets the who gets the delta and who gets the
0: i remember john's name and and paul i forgive me i'm jumping jumping ahead of myself first of all welcome to the show and thank you very much for joining
1: no thank you for having me on it's uh it's good to back talking about sim racing it feels like a long time since yeah since I've we were kind of
0: we were kind of talking back and forth and, and my my play of dirt, my interest in dirt rally was kind of my interest my start in this hobby after dirt three and and I, I would tweet at you every now and then and then we would talk on twitter and, and so on and it's lovely to be able to actually talk to you today and with the announcement of two point dirt rally 2.0 I reached out to you and then I said, well, I realized then after that you've moved on since, but I said, I still wanted to talk to you. So here we are today. So, Paul, one of the questions I had was, um, can you tell us, and I know you've perhaps talked about this before on the Absolute Rally podcast and so on. But can you tell us, how did you get into racing and rally games and how did you get started at Codemasters?
1: So I've always been a, a petrol head uh I think my first word was car. I wanted to be a car designer when I was growing up. Uh, that, was the, that was the answer to the question. If anybody asked me what, what I was going to do when I grew up, I did all of my school and education around becoming a, a car designer and then later on an engineer, actually.
0: Oh, really? Um,
1: and then I went to university um, to study automotive engineering at Coventry. Um, but I think I'd been kind of lying to myself about my capabilities in in mathematics. And I think it's fine when you're at school and you're being pushed to pass exams and you're doing what you need to do to sort of jump each of those hurdles. But when you get to university, it's a very different way of learning. It's very much on you to to drive yourself forward. And without having kind of the teacher standing over me with a stick telling me that what I needed to do to get through the next bit, I kind of my motivation waned um and i think it was a it shone a light on how um much i'd been kidding myself about my own mathematical ability um so i started to to flounder i ended up crashing out of the course about nine months after i started it um and i i kind of um started to lose my way a little bit um but while i was at university i i played um many computer games but probably the one that, that sticks with me the most is, is colin mcrae rally because that was um one of the first games that i uh played on the pc it actually um led to me buying my first pc for the release of colin mcrae rally 2 um and uh, at the time with colin mcrae 1 it was um, myself and a couple of friends would just take it in turns to drive um, stages, so we'd, we'd kind of share the load. But it was kind of um, past the pad, multiplayer, yeah, um, because we were all students, we couldn't we couldn't afford a separate PC, so we kind of split the load between us. But it was it was the first game that that really showed. Um, Rally to me in a virtual world uh, a level which I i could truly appreciate it. I had played Sega Rally in the arcades and I did love it, but that was, you know, that was in the arcades and you couldn't necessarily bring an arcade cabinet home with you. Um, and Unfortunately, not, whole lot else, not no. <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. Not a whole lot else touched um that feeling at that level uh, until McRae Rally came along. Now, prior to that, I guess my interest in Rally started very young. My, my father had a Lancia Delta and he used to go to the Lancia dealership and get like loads and loads of brochures and posters and stuff. So my bedroom wall was kind of all Martini racing Lancias yes. from, from, from the 80s era. Um, and um, actually I was probably more of a Formula One fan um, from about the age of seven to... Um, probably, yeah, 12, 13. And then in 1994, I remember watching and Senna have his have his uh, fatal crash at Imola. Yes. And I, he was such a big hero of mine that it kind of, it, it really affected me. And it was at a point where I guess at 13 going 14, you're, you're pretty susceptible to that kind of thing. And I just completely fell out of love with Formula One. I couldn't watch it anymore um but at that same time rallying was was really starting to, to to um take hold in the uk i know that it had been a popular sport through the group b era but just the the fact that mcrae was there and starting to challenge at, at a world championship level um it was just a perfect kind of transition from formula 1 which had fallen out of love with to to rally which was exciting and dangerous and you know the way it was, the way it was televised back then on on um, TV was a much more digestible format. But I think today's media um, has managed with WRC because um, it's just such a, a vast sport um, in terms of the logistics of getting to an event and covering everything that mm. um, that I think they still struggle to sort of make a digestible format. Um, but yeah, so. I got into Rally, I I sort of formalized that Rally um, enjoyment through Colin McRae, it led me to change my direction in terms of the university course that I was doing with a view to getting into games and hopefully with a chance to work on on such a franchise. Um, And then when I graduated, um, I think it was in 2003. that summer i started applying for jobs at codemasters there was nothing 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 and then by september my parents were like okay so when are you going to get a real job kind of thing and then (laughs)
2: luckily
1: one role came up that was um for games testing yeah and so I, i was just like you know what i might like it might not be the job that i was hoping to get i was hoping to get something in like menu design, user experience design, that kind yes. of thing, although the didn't really officially exist then. Um, but I, I ended up starting as a tester that, I think it was November when the job actually started. Um, and I was testing uh, Tocker Race Driver 2 as my first proper gig. Um, but then by that next summer, I was um, I was getting ready to test uh, Colin McRae 2005, so I kind of arrived. And... Um, Found my feet and eventually got got to work on the franchise that I'd always set out to work on.
0: That must have been that must have been enjoyable. That the fact that you had actually fell in love with Rally in a way on the digital format by playing um, Colin McRae and then got to work on the actual game.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great to have um, a focused goal and to actually be able to
2: achieve it. You know, you can take that for granted, but it's a very It's an incredibly
1: um, rare thing for people who have dreams to actually see those dreams through. So I'm Mm. I'm highly appreciative of the fact that um, I got to do what I set out to do. That's not to say that it didn't involve a whole heap
2: of hard work and you know extra hours and um, you know being
1: in the right place at the right time as well, but also delivering when when it was asked of me. But you know fundamentally, it was um, it made life a whole lot easier being able to put extra effort into something that you love rather than putting extra effort into something that you don't particularly enjoy um, so yeah
2: that I guess it, it was a great opportunity that I took with both hands and
1: it kind of
0: grew from there and then about your your college graduation so you said that you weren't so um Big on the maths, which mathematics, which I'm not either. I have to admit. So, did you then change your majors? And when you graduated, what did you graduate as? If I might ask Are you, because you, you, you obviously you were trying to figure it out as you went along, as many people do. But when you came out, then what were what were your major subjects? Once you graduated in 2003.
1: Yeah, so it was. Uh, so I spent five years at university. Yeah. My first year was doing automotive engineering, which I which I stopped doing. I then changed to a course called development and health in disaster management and it was essentially up refugee camps in um, uh, natural disaster affected areas and and kind of getting on top of disease control making sure that the people who have um, fled whatever circumstances they were in were able to survive within makeshift accommodation and on paper it sounded like the most amazing thing and my my father worked in the united nations and i saw it as a way of kind of almost following in his footsteps and and helping out um with people less fortunate however the reality of that course was very different to the to the kind of uh sales pitch that they gave on paper so i ended up dropping out of that course as well um and uh, then i found a course which is called communication authoring and design which is kind of graphic design. Um, but with a bit more written word in it. So the, the, the kind of perfect job that you would have got from doing that course would have been writing instruction manuals for like Hewlett-Packard printers or whatever. Yes. Um, yes. That wasn't the thing that excited me the most, but it was um, something that I could definitely do. I, I did have pretty decent written English, and I had an eye for design because a lot of the, the, the subjects that I'd studied on the path to becoming an automotive engineer, had design technology and all of that kind of stuff. So the process of design, I'd, I'd kind of had instilled in me
2: mm. from a very early age.
1: Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a course that, that partly i, I it, it worked well for me. It also gave me that that sort of window into maybe I can get into doing this in games. Through user user interface design, user experience design, but then the the reality of it was, it was a course that I knew I could get a degree in. I knew I could pass, yes. and that would resolve the concern I had of disappointing my parents, who put me through university for five years. Um, to walk away with nothing would have would have been um, probably a, a disappointment beyond belief for everyone concerned. So, yeah, it was just a way actually getting that certificate to hang on the wall kind of thing. Um, But it served me well. It's, um, I don't want to undermine the value of the course. It has served me well for sure.
0: Yeah. And not a lot, uh, and in a way, inadvertently, it got you along the path that you kind of wanted to go in a way, because it was touching on the topics that you were, you were intrinsically kind of interested in anyway. So.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Without, without doing some of the things I did in that course, there was, there are certainly points, In my working life where I would have not been as well informed as I had been because of that course. So there was definitely aspects of it that helped, Um, but it certainly wasn't a course about video games.
0: No,
2: no, no,
0: (laughs) no. Touched on some of the elements. Now, as many will recall, Dirt Rally 1.0 first released in Steam Early Access and over time added more cars and tracks as well as Rallycross and later also Virtual Reality. And overall, I would say that Dirt Rally 1.0 set the standard for rally games. Um, I recall the early days of the first Dirt Rally show, which is now back for 2.0, with you, Paul, and Lee Williams. And Lee is now the international manager of community management at EA. A shout out to Lee. And during the Dirt shows, you'd be there with people standing around in the background, and I remember Lee would always say something like, oh, you lot get back to work, you know. <laughs> I used to enjoy that. <laughs> I used to enjoy that a lot. And then uh, I remember a story of you, you, uh, Paul, and Lee traveling to experience a rally cross event in Sweden and how much of a real eye-opener it was. I think you were disgusted during the one of the original Dirt shows. And the, the steam early access period of for Dirt Rally 1.0 was a real eye-opener for me because I was following the features as they were added and watching the dirt shows and every now and then uh, annoying you, Paul, on Twitter. And you were always, always so gracious in replying in some way, if you could. Yeah. So, so, Paul, could you... I think our listeners would like to hear it. So, could you tell the story of how Dirt Rally 1.0 1. 1. came to be following your work on Colin McRae and perhaps also the Dirt series? Like, where did the origin of Dirt, dirt Rally one point come from the selection of cars and so on?
1: So it probably started um after dirt three. Um so back in May twenty eleven. Um we we kind of um made dirt three and we knew it was a great success and we we really enjoyed doing all of the gymkhana and party mode stuff. It felt like a great yeah. game, a great package. Um, and um, one thing we'd done with Dirt Three was to try and represent the sport of rally in a bit more authenticity, just in terms of the car selection. Um, but I don't think we stacked up in terms of the tracks and how they how they flowed and the widths and and the style of racing that we were representing. It was it was definitely a very um, lightweight take, While, albeit graphically incredible, but but the, the stages themselves were designed in a way that people could pick up and play. They didn't really need to listen to the co-driver in any great detail. Um, but as a result, you know, it set my mind thinking about how we could actually take a step towards something more authentic um, with the Dirt franchise. So. The seeds of that started to be sown then. Um, The reality of it was that at the same time, or or towards the end of um, Dirt 3, I actually started speaking again on Twitter with um, a guy called John Tucker, who had rallied um, back in the day. He'd actually, um, I think he came runner-up to uh, Chris Meek in a Peugeot scholarship competition. um, And um, then went off and, and, did the Peugeot, I think one hundred six, no two hundred six, uh, Super Cup Championship, uh, and pretty much bankrupted himself doing that um, by, um, well, just by doing rally because rally's incredibly expensive. Yes. For the for the gains you can get from it, um, but anyway, he he could certainly pedal, um, and he'd. Um, He'd got back into the, being interested in rallying because he'd been involved in some of the focus testing that we were doing for Dirt Three, and he was chatting away with me on Twitter. And then he decided, you know, he'd had his um, he'd had both of his sons by that point, and I think he decided that he wanted to get back into rallying. Um, but his old co-driver had gone off to do some um, rally driving of his own, and so he he approached me from the perspective of I need a co-driver, but also I think it would be a really good opportunity for you to get to experience rally firsthand Yeah. because that will actually show you what you can do to make the game better and how um, there are some really obvious things that you don't do that you should do. Um, So I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, Asked my wife if she was okay, or she was actually my fiancee at the time, but whether she was cool with, with the notion of me jumping in a rally car, um, and she was, so without, without much more thought, um, we set about getting a car prepped, and we did some 12 car navigation rallies, um, and then by August of that year, I was sat in a rally car with John, um, doing the Neath Valley stages, and he was absolutely right you know, all of that experience leading up to it, and then the actual experience of jumping in the car, made, like it it crystallized a lot of those thoughts that i had been having about how do we make this a more authentic experience? How do I bring Dirt back to being um, in the same spirit of the original Colin McRae games? Which, jumping ahead a little bit, I remember being handed the original Colin McRae Rally design document, and almost putting it side by side with the Dirt Rally design document that we had, and yeah. the things that spoke about, and the approach it was taking was virtually identical. It was, you know, that it, it was boiled down to a very simple vision, which is let's just make the best rally game ever made. That was all, all it needed to say in it really. Um, and so every decision we made along the way was always did it answer that question did it is this going to make this the best rally game ever made and if it didn't chances are it got it got dropped from from the list of things we were doing so every single little minute detail we were putting in was always to that aim and it it, it was very very similar to the approach that they took with the original Colin McRae rally albeit the way that they simulated the cars was you know very um, basic comparatively um but what they did which is very much the same approach that we took was to not get too caught up in the numbers and think much more in terms of the feeling and trying to capture the way that the cars felt as they drove down the stage and um there's a bit of a sort of magic medicine like george's marvelous medicine i don't know if you if you've read that book but it's one of the royal Dahl books and basically they create this this magic and they don't really know what ingredients they've got in there but this they then try and make that potion again later on and um they can't do it yeah Um, and actually you know when you do make something like um dirt rally one going back and trying to recapture that feeling after things have advanced and things have changed and things have um developed is actually one of the hardest things I've ever done in my career. That's interesting. Yeah. um, So yeah, it's because we didn't really have there wasn't a clear cut mathematical formula that we could apply. (laughs) It kind of led to it being a very challenging thing to recapture. But yeah, it it, the the feeling was what we focused on. And I think that's why it shone through as being so special because you know the way
2: that the cars felt the dynamics that they had while perhaps not
1: entirely grounded in simulation um, they they definitely captured that sense of driving a car too quickly down a road that's too narrow and shouldn't really be driven on anywhere near the speeds that, that rally drivers do drive on them yeah um, so yeah that's where it all started back at back in dirt three obviously we ended up making dirt showdown first
0: yes oh yeah that's right i've forgotten about that actually yeah um
1: and that's you know that was just a a necessity that the the business needed to game quickly um to give the the company more room to make grid 2. um so uh we essentially released Dirt showdown in order to give the other team a chance to um, develop out Grid 2 for a bit longer, but the reality of that is we were sharing a lot of resources, so actually it didn't give them a year of extra development, um, and it definitely um, took its toll on the team in terms of the amount of um, extra effort that was required.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but then Grid 2 um, was worked on uh, for another year, and while that was being worked on we broke ground on what the next Dirt game was going to be after showdown uh, and that was absolutely what we wanted um, Dirt to be whether it was going to be Dirt 4 whether it was going to be called Dirt and just we'd kind of like not put a number behind it um, we didn't know but we knew that we take a much more serious approach to rallying than we ever had done with with the dirt part of the franchise. Um, but uh, the the team that we had was, was um, apart from myself and a couple of other members of the dev team, most of the team were new to the studio and to their roles um, because the aim was to try and get two teams working on on uh, the two franchises ind- individually and um it was it was working really well because things that i wouldn't have been able to ask um a team who'd already worked on the, i was able to ask these um new and fresh guys and they were able to answer things uh in a different way because they hadn't they hadn't experienced the challenges and the pitfalls we'd had from making dirt before. So yeah. it meant that there was a lot of creative thinking and new solutions to the problems that we faced. And it, it, it felt like a really special time because we were prototyping new handling um, that was originally built on the old engine and we sort of pushed it as far as it could go. But we, we started to hit brick walls. So then we we actually ended up um, finding an, uh, a new... Um, simulation programmer who was willing to sort of crack open the old black box of our our old ego simulation engine and start rebuilding it from the ground up. And it was, you know, the this combination of challenging the status quo, approaching things from a different angle, and having a lot of time to prototype that core feeling that kind of led us to having this great feeling um prototype. But at the same time, Cody's was it went through quite a tough time.
2: Mm.
1: Um, the games across the company were not doing as well as they needed to do. We'd kind of missed the boat on the new consoles. So we were behind in terms of um, where we needed to be in terms of having fresh uh, new games on the new consoles ready to go to market. Yeah. So we were in a really difficult place and uh, the business needed to reduce headcount to survive. And that resulted in our team being um, pretty pretty drastically um, reduced in size because we were the, the non-active project, basically. I think that was the logic that was applied. Um, and so I was left with basically myself and a couple of other guys who'd worked on Dirt Rally um, and this prototype and nothing really to show for it um other than that uh so it was a really difficult time like you know really made me question whether i wanted to continue in games at all because Hmm. this one felt like a really special project that we were working on and the people that were working on it were amazing still friends of mine to this day um but yeah like circumstances kind of started to turn um slowly at first but eventually it started to snowball in the favor of you know what this prototype it might be really super hard and super simulation which is not what the business would want from a dirt game but we should probably put it out there and give it a go and just see whether there is an appetite for it so that was when the decision came to finish off what we had to make um enough cars and tracks to justify releasing it as an early access product and then to build on it as as the months went on and and take this very different approach of of actually listening to what the community wanted actually giving them regular monthly builds providing them with a roadmap of content that we could we could give them um and you know going through early access which was at the time actually the only way that we could have released a game i don't think um putting dirt rally direct onto console and pc would have been viable because
0: no no. because you were still working on it actively basically yeah
1: yeah and the the interesting take it through to a finished product would have been too high risk Mm. um to actually see through so it was kind of a perfect storm um from quite um challenging beginnings um and yeah i mean the rest is history i suppose you could say it was probably the most exciting period of game development i've ever had once we actually pushed the button and said here's this game we think you'll like it oh by the way it's ready for you to play now so you can just go away and download it on
0: steam i remember i was i was was one of the day one guys i remember and there was no fanfare no alarm it just appeared and everybody everybody was like what is this and it went from there. Yeah. yeah. I remember. Yeah.
1: Well, I think, you know, looking back on it, it was the only thing we could have done Yeah. because if we as Codemasters have gone out there and said, here's Dirt rally, it will be available in six months time, but it's going to be serious simulation and you know, you're just going to have to wait to try it. I think yeah. that would have given people enough time to sharpen their pitchforks to say, why isn't it on console? Why isn't it a full game? You know, all of those things will have started to snowball mm. um and work against it. Whereas that opportunity to just pick it up and play it. And it was just like, you know what, we're not gonna sell this to you with with marketing and PR. Just try it. If you like it, tell your friends about it. It's the least you can do. And we just sort of watched it snowball from there. Um, you know, the people who picked up Dirt Rally on day one got a very good deal in the end. Um,
0: yeah, we did,
1: Mm. you you know, for the 20 quid, I think it was maybe 16 quid. I think it was something like that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You ended up with pretty much a year, year and a half's worth of content and support. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was, you know, it was exciting coming in in the morning, having chatted to people on Twitter and hearing what they liked and what they didn't like and working out how we could sort of change the things that we were working on to better support the desires of, of the people who were playing the game. It was it was something that I loved um, and it was something that I wish I'd been able to continue to do with every game I've worked on since
2: because yeah.
1: service-led games reacting to what the community want helping shape the game around how it's being played is actually it's far more in tune with how a lot of other apps um uh, and um online games are being developed and you know the whole put it put it on a disc and fire it off into the into orbit style of game development it's quite old school now when you think about it and it's it's much nicer to be able to Kind of mold and shape something organically over over its lifespan. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it was it was a great time and one that I um, I loved um, a great deal. It felt at times like um, I was kind of selling Dirt Rally out of a out of a briefcase when whenever <laughs> we were yeah up the ground and, and and trying to get people to play it, but. You know it's definitely when you passionately believe in something you, you do it's so much easier to go that extra mile and um and see things through so so yeah i guess that's a that's story behind it um and it it's not you know maybe one day i'll write a book about it but it, it certainly wasn't the the perfect story but then you know i think of when i watch uh documentaries on how some of the greatest albums in the world got got made Mm -hmm. and you hear of the sort of heartache and the turmoil that the artists go through to get to the point where as a consumer you just hear the music and you're like this is a this is a rocking album but you don't you never get to see the blood sweat and tears that happened in the background to to make a, a reality and there was a lot of that on dirt rally and it always felt, even once we got it out there, it always felt like it could have been so much more. Um, but, you know, that's, that is what it is. You have to make the best of the cards that you're dealt sometimes. And, and that's what I believe we did. Um, and I think it was great to see the community uh, appreciate it and play it as much as they did.
0: Yeah. And I guess uh, um, I have a video on my channel about the Carol Shelby and the Shelby Daytona and one of the reasons I created it was because the the Shelby Cobra, sorry, and then the Daytona, the Shelby oh. Daytona came about because Peter Brock had an idea and he wanted to work on it, and Carroll Shelby let him have the crashed chassis of a AC Cobra, and he left it over in the corner of the of the garage, and after the nine to five, the guys in the shop would come along and help him, you know, and then when when ken miles originally like f- took the car out the car performed really well but they were kind of they were literally like, kind of making it up as they went along and that for me was a fascinating story so did did, did john tucker was john actually playing the 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 richard burns rally or dirt games the john when john asked you to join him as a co-driver had he an idea of you know teaching you or get, allowing you to experience rally so as to input into the games or or what you know what where 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 was he coming from in that way
1: so he was he was an avid rally game player he he played pretty much every rally game under the sun yeah uh, at that point um and he could certainly drive racing games quickly as well so he had that connection he'd never worked in games before um but he saw it as a great way of essentially um helping me understand the sport that we were representing firsthand and i guess that's where co-driving actually was such an amazing opportunity because it allowed me to essentially parachute in at a national level uh, alongside somebody that really could drive um, and you know get to experience the time controls the road sections what it actually felt to be thrown around in an Impreza driving at breakneck speeds through a forest that had been torn up by 150 other rally cars
0: it must have been scary yeah. in the beginning or it, so
1: the the cool thing about john is he he was like the best mentor when it came to this stuff he helped me understand my role what i needed to do um, but I, I as a, my character trait, I fit much better into team sports than I do solo sports. I'm a terrible golfer. <laughs> I love playing football. As goalkeeper, I can you know, command the, the defense and yeah. ensure yeah. that uh, we know what we're doing. And, and winning together as a team is amazing. The cool thing for Rally for me was that it is still a team sport but it's one that's like really boils down team to just two people and at that point there's nowhere to hide if the co-driver's not doing what they're supposed to do the driver can't drive fast enough it's not so much that the driver's going to crash they'll just lose confidence and they won't drive down the stage as fast as they need to yeah so that symbiotic relationship of i deliver the notes well he drives more confidently I feel that he's driving quicker and more confidently and I then deliver the notes even better and it's just kind of snowballs from there it was like something I'd never never experienced in terms of being scared no you don't really have time to think about the ridiculousness of the situation that you're in
2: yeah
1: um, and you just get on with it there's too much to think about to, to worry about being scared I think if you were on a passenger ride in a rally car and you weren't having to spit the notes out and you were just there watching the trees rip past then it probably would be a bit scarier but the fact that your, your role is as important and you're busy doing it there's just no time to, to worry about that kind of stuff so um, yeah I mean I, I had to, it definitely was tough because I'm horribly uh, car sick uh, if I'm not driving so
0: when
1: we did the 12-car navigation rallies, I had to basically train myself to, to not be car sick anymore.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, although the first couple of rallies we did were pretty messy. Um, because actually, in the world of co-driving, I'd say that sort of navigation run is way more challenging on the co-driver than the driver. Because you're kind of reading a map through a magnifying glass with a lamp on it um for an hour solid just staring at the map um and it, you know the car doesn't have bucket seats so you're just kind of getting thrown around all over the place and it, it's pretty intense whereas at least with stage rally it's like 12 16 miles maximum certainly in a national level and then you pretty much can have a bit of a relaxed unwind through the road section where really all you're doing is is map reading but w- with zero intensity because you're driving at 40 miles an hour um for the most part so so yeah it certainly wasn't scary it was it was intense, um but yeah absolutely one of the most exciting things i've ever done in my life and and something i look forward to doing again and again and again and not sure when our next event is going to be but um we do intend to to keep doing it because it doesn't matter whether i'm out here in serbia um, working on mobile games, or whether I'm whether I'm working on dirt, that's not going to stop me from wanting to be a co driver.
2: <laughs>
0: no. And how did, how long did it take you to get up to speed with um, with pace notes? Was it John that was teaching you, or did you come up with your own system, or had you known about the concept of co driver pace notes before you started with John? Or
1: so I'd known about the concept um, through working on the games. We obviously needed to make sure that the pace notes were accurate but we didn't really have the sensibility of how they got written we used to we used to employ co-drivers to come in and and essentially recce and write the notes for us yeah um john taught me about the pacing and probably the, the best thing that he explained to me was the fact that a driver's brain is kind of like it has three slots of information available and as you drive through the stage you're feeding those slots with corners. And when you've a corner that uh, is the third one in the slot, you can then put the next one in. So it kind of works a bit like a carousel. Yes. Um, So then the timing just becomes a case of when you're going through the quick stuff, you need to get the calls out quicker. When you're going through the slow stuff, you can, for example, when you're coming to a hairpin, you need to make sure that you've set the hairpin before the braking point. Then when you feel the car braking, yeah. that's when you can start giving the next call, because okay. you know at that point, they've, they've acknowledged that the hairpin's coming up, you're hard on the brakes, you're, you you can feel it in the belts, and it's at that point where you can be doing the distance and then the next corner, so that the driver knows A, how hard they can accelerate out of the hairpin, and B, what the next corner is gonna be and how quickly it's gonna be coming up after it. So, Hairpins are probably the easier. they're hard on the way in because you need to make sure that the call's there and ready for them, but it's very easy on the way out and they're kind of like a full stop at the end of, not even a sentence, like a paragraph is where you get your hairpins. Um, the, the most challenging, and it's what the really good top end co-drivers are amazing at, is being able to feel the movement of the car through the quick stuff, which is actually can be quite subtle at times, and they're spitting out you know the really fast calls yeah. and not even looking up from the notes because they're just feeling how the car's moving and they know where they are from how the car feels based that, on the notes what really
2: yeah
1: yeah so that's what really sets the the good guys apart because they're they're essentially there is no time to look up no and even when you do look up the road's going to kind of look straight and wiggly so you just have to make sure that you can you can feel it yeah. uh, so they're, they're the bits where i probably had my biggest struggles but um yeah I, when i look back at videos in the early days i used to call super super early and john would be sort of saying yeah okay hang on a minute or you know you need it or tell me when he needed the next note calling uh, later on i probably because later on i'd done more co-driving for in-game and so i i started to learn to call like the calls are delivered in the game and that was actually too late for his liking i needed to be calling them earlier than that um because uh, real rally drivers they tend to want their information sooner so that they can paint the picture of the road ahead sooner yes um so yeah that i think if i was going to do it again i'd need to find that middle ground again but yeah it's, it, it was an amazing experience it took from about well he emailed me in february or march of 2011 and we were stage rallying in august but prior to that we'd done two or three uh 12 car navigation rallies um which helped with the whole adhering to time controls and avoiding that sort of penalty from arriving either early or late to a time control so
0: yeah yeah and i guess i guess when you talked about the concept of a co-driver just looking at his notes and feeling the ground and not looking at the horizon to get a idea of where he is i guess from doing a recce of a stage they'd also have a reasonable idea from from the recce that they do for example to formulate the concepts behind the pace notes to have a pretty much idea so then it's a case of well then you're you're then taking the same route again at higher speed and you have your notes and then you're not looking. And that's that's fascinating. I didn't realize that like if you see footage, you'll sometimes see the core driver flick their head up, but most of the time they're not looking at the notes. And as you said, the most, the really good ones, the most experienced ones are just going off feel and the pace notes that they have on the paper in front of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, to, to clarify, you look when you can look, but if mm. the time isn't available, yeah. Then you just go on the feeling. Um, I know I've never wreckied a stage that I've competed on. I've always had the notes provided by a third party because at a national level to keep costs down, that's how they that's how they do it. Basically, you yeah. purchase a uh, a book that's written in the style that you want them, yeah. um, and uh, that comes with an optional safety DVD. They call it, which is a guy driving a Subaru Impressor at about 10 miles an hour through the stage. Um, so you get to see what the road looked like three weeks before the rally, which is generally like every other forest track you've ever seen. If you've gone for a walk with a dog or whatever, um, when you actually arrive on the stage in the heat of competition, the road will look nothing like it looked in that DVD no. because it's been torn up. Yeah. And... It's it's um, it's not like a plowed field, but roads that had a line of grass down the middle uh, don't have that line of grass anymore because you know the undertray's scraped on it from every car that's gone through, and it's now just a you know gravel road. Yeah. Um, so there's stuff that you don't recognise from those videos. Um, the the pacing is obviously completely different because ten miles an hour solid speed through a through a course doesn't matter how much you speed that up you're not going to capture the pace difference that you get from, from driving a car quickly down the quick stuff and, and slowly through the hairpins. So,
2: yeah,
1: yeah, it's, I mean, I think the WRC guys who do recce the stages and do get to write their own notes, probably because they've studied the course in that much more detail Mm. uh, and they've seen it firsthand, they will have more situational awareness than, than what we ever would have had. But, um, it was yeah it was still it was still quite alien going into the stage compared to what it was like when um when you saw it on the dvd
0: yeah and i remember and uh, the development of dirt rally 1.0 wasn't it so that the engine the ego engine you were using code that was based on the ego engine used in dirt 3 wasn't it so
1: yeah well i mean we always talked about it as the of the ego engine and because that's how it has and always has been um the first the first time i encountered that engine was on race driver 2 and although it would be almost unrecognizable today to what it was back then the foundations of how things were built were still that same code base um so it's not like Codemasters just tear it all up and write a new engine every time they make a game. Yeah. Um, formula one, 20, 15, 15 had the new but, one. Yes. Yeah. So that, that is an example of where a new engine got written. There was mm. still models from the old engine in that, but fundamentally it was a different engine and it was part of the strife that we, Suffered with during the prototype phase was we never had any programmers available to us because they were all every time we got one, they were sort of tasked with helping out finishing off Ego 3 because the aim was that we were going to use it well. But over time, it became clear that it it was an engine that was going to be fantastic for Formula One and not as useful for Rally as we'd hoped it would be, yeah. So Later on, we took the decision to just stick with what we've got and improve that and that improvement continues to this day. So just the latest iteration of the same old engine that it always was, but it's unrecognizable to what it was because it's evolved so much.
0: Yeah. And the inclusion of Rallycross later in um, Dirt Rally 1.0, how did that come about? And also as a final point on DIRT Rally 1.0 How were you able to convince the management to allow you to use the early access process? Because as far as I can remember, it's one of the first driving games to be launched in early access and indeed it may have been the precursor to what Kuno Simulazioni have done with Assetto Corsa and now with Assetto Corsa Competizione, launch on PC get some feedback see how we're going and then um, released later on console so how did the rally cross come about I, I assume it's elements of it were from your relationship with the content that's in dirt 3 and how did you get permission then from the or how did you make it so that the management would let you release an early access because it was i guess it was a bit of a gamble in a way wasn't it
1: uh, yeah, so, so rally cross is probably the easier question to answer. So after dirt three, um, we had obviously represented rally cross, um, in dirt one, two and three, mm. um, and at the time rally cross was still quite a clubman sport. There was a notion that it was going to kick off in America, but it never really did. Um, and we, um we were talking to independent drivers but and the only championship we were talking to was actually the british rallycross championship because um, of liam duran and amy duran and then um, img signed a deal to take over the promotion of rallycross as a sport and when they did that, one of the first things they looked to do was to try and seek out how they could um, get it represented in a video game as a as a sort of tangible licensed sport. Because mm. one of the best ways of promoting a sport is to get a video game with your championship in there. So we we discussed all through the prototype phase of um, dirt rally that. That we'd like to work with them we went as far as building lyddon hill and a bunch of cards which we were able to prototype and show them um and they were very excited but we didn't really have that big boxed product that they were hoping to to have to show to their management say look we're in a computer game already yeah. but um they also wanted a significant amount of money i seem to remember for their for their license but over time we kind of negotiated around this point of we we need or we'd like to have Rallycross in our game, but we don't necessarily need it to be licensed. We've done it before, we can do it again. But we see great potential and opportunity in the world or at the time, yeah, yeah, it became the World rallycross Championship. Um, but we saw great potential in that. And, and when we did first start talking, they presented their brand um vision to us and it, it fitted almost exactly with what our brand vision was for dirt Um, and so we just felt like we were a good partnership but it was a case of just getting the business side of things to align and what what we ended up deciding to do was that we would we would get them into dirt and we would slowly build on the amount of um, content we had with the view to eventually have the full championship um in and running um, so that we can represent the entire calendar, and um, that will come in probably the next couple of years, and we'll be at a point where you know what we can run an esports championship hand in hand with the world championship and that kind of stuff. Those yeah. all of those things that become limitations because you haven't got all of the content will suddenly open up, and potential is there to do all of that stuff. So it's something that Formula One have done very successfully, yes, and that's no reason why that. That can't continue with with uh fio world rallycross it's a it's a wicked sport i love all motorsports but the the format how quick the events are um the door-to-door racing the fact that drivers from very different backgrounds can all come together and take their driving styles and apply them in such different ways you know it's funny it was quite naive of us but when we first looked at rallycross we were like oh they're all hatchbacks they're all four-wheel drive they're all Name. So, apart from the model looking a bit different, yeah. pretty much we'll have this one in the bag. And then we started speaking to the Rallycross teams, and every single team had a different philosophy for how they set their car up, what what differentials they used, how they laid out the engine. And ah, okay. each driver within the team then had yeah. a different way of driving as well. So, each of those cars, even though on face value they look pretty much identical. Yeah. Um, under the hood they're all different in their own um nuanced ways and and so that work that we thought oh yeah it would be easy we'll just stick a load of the same car in we actually ended up spending more time and effort trying to represent the nuances of those different rally cross cars the different styles of differential the fact that some of them don't even have a center diff um you know all of those things and then making those cars competitive with one another That that Created actually quite a sizable headache for us where we thought we were going to have a bit of an easy ride with it. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: yeah, I'm delighted that the relationship has continued, that, yes. it's, that it's growing, and that wherever it goes in the future will, will only be more positive, I think. Um, so the other bit was, <laughs> remind <laughs> me what it was again, sorry.
0: Sorry, how did you get the approval from management to do the, the early access period? Because if I remember correctly, it was at least a first for codemasters, and indeed a first for a sim racing game.
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there wasn't really any approval needed because we were we were in a pretty tough situation as a company. Yes. Um, and it was the only real way that we could get such a high-risk prototype out into the public eye without spending so much money on it that it would have become non-viable because of the amount of money that had been spent so it, it was a necessity the, the positive was that the management we had at the time and and they're still the guys that run run the business now had the, had the vision of actually you know what we should take this risk rather than um, Rather than not, and potentially letting the prototype just um, get archived and forgotten about.
2: So, yeah.
1: you know, they, we did work a lot with Steam. We had a lot of um, meetings with them to make sure that the sort of thing that we were doing was right.
2: Yeah, I think what
1: we've done is set a difficult precedent for smaller studios who want to use early access because we've kind of uh, almost unfairly had the resources available to make our tracks and cars look amazing. So um it it has set a difficult precedent but for me it was really important that we released with a game that looked great because i didn't
2: want people having their feedback about how the tracks didn't look finished or how they how the cars were you know not
1: up to the detail that they were expecting i wanted the feedback to be about how did the game drive and how did the game play and um because we were able to do it at such high fidelity, that was the feedback that we received and we were then able to act on that, yeah. so yeah, it, it was it was a, a universal decision, we felt it was the right thing to do and the way that it was announced and released um, was also the right thing to do and, and yeah. yeah, it was just a perfect storm
0: yeah and i guess yeah back to the idea of magic in a bottle perfect storm valve have have built a system in steam that allowed you to do it so the kind of the time was right you would talk to valve and you had a you had a product you were developing but it needs still needed to be prototyped and you knew that it was a mark you knew there was a market there so you decided to release it and
1: I think the key thing was we didn't know that there was a market there. I sensed that there was a market there. Ah, Speaking okay. to people on Twitter, I knew that there was enough people shouting about why don't you make a proper rally game?
0: Yeah, blah
1: blah blah. But I didn't have any user research data to back that up. It was just a gut feeling. Mm. Um, but we went for it, and and fortunately, it turned out to be the right thing to do. Um, With the discussions with Steam and Valve, what we actually got told was that they were increasingly unhappy with companies going and putting stuff on early access and charging inordinate amounts of money up front for a very unfinished game and then running off into the sunset without ever delivering on their promise. So I think we were one of the first games that Valve kind of put a clamp down on how games were being made and their new approach was to say you can only sell the game for the amount of content that it has in it. Um, So that's why we turned Early Access on its head and said, you know, it's $20 $20 up front and then we'll incrementally increase the price as we put more content in. And that was on their advice. And in hindsight, I think it was the right thing to do. But at the same time, our most hardcore fans got the game at its cheapest. And
2: while I think that's a great thing from a community perspective, as a
1: businessman, that was probably not helpful. Um, I think you would want your early adopters to pay the highest price. In the end, I think we ended up doing what is the correct, what I see to be the correct thing as somebody who's not lined their pockets with the success of Dirt Rally. yeah. But from a business perspective, I think it would have been better to make sure that the most committed fans paid the most, because that would have probably ensured a more long-term service on Dirt Rally. yeah, uh, And one I know that what I you believe mean. they are yeah. steering towards now for Dirt Rally too.
0: Yes. I, 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 understand where you're coming from now so Dirt Rally 1.0 basically was a groundbreaker in many ways and has led directly to the forthcoming release of Dirt Rally 2.0 in late February 2019 February 26th I think it was and it's funny how you mentioned you talked about launching a game and you'll have it six months later which is kind of what 2.0 is now and uh, I've been following some of the the um development of 2.0 and the chief game designer is ross gowing and you have rally consultants uh, john armstrong john i believe is from northern ireland the same as chris meek and also mm-hmm. um ryan champion and if i recall correctly ryan has been on the absolute rally podcast yeah
1: he's one of the hosts of it so yeah so ross uh, is somebody who i've worked with um at various points in my career, um, he used to live on the same street as me back in Leamington Spa. I was the best man at his wedding, so we go oh. back a long time, and, yeah. and we are good friends. But the only thing that we don't have in common is that he supports Norwich City and I support Ipswich Town, <laughs> so that's where we yeah. have to agree to disagree. Yeah, um, but ross is um uh, an incredible game designer and one who has
2: been as passionate as i've been with um racing
1: games throughout his career um he's also gone off and developed his own game um uh, on mobile he's also worked in a, a much broader spectrum of studios including making um guitar hero live so he has uh probably a more diverse game making background than i could ever hope to have and so he brings a lot of experience um to the table in terms of uh running a good service um and um making games that transcend racing rather than just being pigeonholed in the racing genre so Mm. he's he's a great fit um and um I won't say I groomed him for the role because I certainly didn't, but he was, he was
2: the obvious choice to take on the responsibility of leading the game design mm. for um, Dirt.
1: Um, John Armstrong and Ryan, so we actually spoke with Ryan and, and used Ryan as Sultan uh, a little bit on Dirt Rally 1, but it wasn't in any official capacity. He just came in to try the handling, uh, I think, once. Um, just because he was down in Banbury with his um, Impreza and he popped in on his way back. But he gave us some really interesting insight. And then when we were looking to um, recapture the magic of Dirt Rally with Dirt Rally 2, he was Mm. one of the first people we got in to try and help our simulation team find the feeling that that we were looking for, bearing in mind that we completely reworked how the simulation worked through the course of DIRT 4 um, and improved it all over the place. But that didn't mean that we necessarily had the feeling. It's just they were improvements in the way that we were doing things. So he was the first person that helped us with that. And then when I um, announced to Codemasters that I I was going to be moving on, um, one of the things that uh, I was very keen to do was to make sure that that didn't mean that Dirt Rally Two couldn't be finished. If that makes sense. Uh, I, I realize that sounds a bit of a um, an overly modest thing to say, but you know, it it, it, it was very important to me that um, any or all, all the effort, the blood, sweat, and tears that I and others around me had poured into making Dirt a successful franchise, making Dirt Rally specifically. Um, a successful part of that franchise didn't get lost because I was I was moving off to to take on a new opportunity. Yeah. So um Johnny was um somebody who i would spoken to uh, again on Twitter. Uh, it's kind of my Rolodex for for getting people working on the game yeah. or getting their feedback on the game but but um Johnny uh was looking for for drives um in in rallying but wasn't having as much luck as i think his talent deserved yeah um so i worked with uh our executive producer to see if we could work out a way of getting him involved with the game as um somebody who's got real world competitive rally experience at a level to which you wouldn't normally be able to get somebody cons- to consult at, at, for the time that he's able to consult for. So he's actually he's moved over from Northern Ireland. He's he's got himself a flat nearby. He's he's moved over with his partner and he's working on dirt rally, you know, full time.
2: Yeah, that's
0: interesting. Um,
1: but not just on—is the handling any good? Because that that's something that is quite subjective. And I think if we were to make it to a fully professional rally driver's level. It would, it would be amazing, but I think it would also make it more challenging to sell um, at, at the amounts that it needed to sell to. So while he's used on a, on a daily basis for that, he also brings all of his experience of competition of how rally events work and feel and what it's like to be on stage and why it's important for certain things to be represented in the way that they do. And that's all the stuff that, I was able to do having sat in the car and competed at a national level. He's, he's continuing that, um, that side of things as well. So, um, Ross, John and Ryan have all contributed a great deal and, and all they are doing is ensuring that the incredibly talented people who already work in that studio have the answers to the questions they need to answer to ensure that they are making the best most appropriate rally experience that they can with the tools that they have available and um so yeah it's you know i feel like it's been left in good hands i feel a bit like a proud parent that's kind of watched their kid graduate and is now off in the the big wide world getting a job getting getting a girlfriend, and getting a car, and doing all of that stuff. And it's been weird for me watching it from the sidelines, but you know, I'm enormously proud of what the team have done and how well they've done it. And um, obviously that's just on what I'm seeing at the moment, but I can't wait to play it and experience it firsthand because you know, it's, it's cool seeing tracks and cars that we would chosen um, while I was still there. But I'd only seen them at a sort of super early prototype phase, now being finished to a point where they can put them into the marketing assets. So the Argentina track, the New Zealand track, the Canadian rallycross track, they're all completely um, incredible compared to the state that I saw them in when I left in June. So, yeah. Um, yeah yeah it's just it's it's been super cool to see it all pan out and yeah it does it does pull at the heartstrings a little bit i do there are times when i do wish i was still able to be part of it
2: i can Um, imagine
1: but sometimes you just have to kind of let this stuff go and and know that other people are going to do new and exciting and cool things with it um and hopefully things that are going to be cooler than i could have ever done
0: And it's funny because thinking about the selection of cars and the feeling I got from Dirt Rally 1.0 is that every car, every single car that was represented in that game was there for a reason. You know, they were they were representing of the period, representing of the class. And as you said, they were they were built to high detail. And that was that was a a focus, I think, that people kind of noticed so paul you were involved in 2.0 up until a year or so before you left so so what was your role if you can talk about your role in 2.0 before you left was were were you the chief designer or what exactly had you been doing on 2.0 yeah uh,
1: until i left i i was designer and i handed over to um in the last couple of weeks uh and he's he's taken on that role now um and he's is doing a great job with it from from everything that i've seen um so what i did was essentially um help shape the track and car selection um steer the direction um, to try and get back to recapturing the feeling of of dirt rally 2 and then a lot of it was um getting the 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 guys that we talked about the consultants that we talked about in and working on it um so that we could um confidently say that we were representing rally in the best way possible and there's a whole chunk of stuff that they're layering in that you know is if done properly is going to make it way better than dirt rally one ever could have been which is things like the surface degradation the fact that road or road position will now make a difference tire choice all of those things that yes, the people a are of asking fans for. have been calling out mm, for yeah um so those are the sorts of things that i was asking for and now the team have actually delivered on those those um requests i think um it's going to be in a good place and i'm excited to see what what the long-term plan is for it because the thing that I wish we'd been able to do with Dirt Rally. One was to just continue servicing it and building up a calendar of events to the point when you did have a full um, championship there, ready to go. And each country did have lots of unique stages available for it. And you know, hopefully, this is the this is the chance for Dirt Rally to actually see that more long-term future yes. and for for players to be taken on a much longer journey than than one through through early access
0: I didn't actually play I, I never I have to admit I never bought a copy of of dirt 4 have you have you played dirt 4 were you involved in development of dirt 4 in any way or
1: yeah yeah I mean straight after dirt rally um I was involved with dirt 4 and and I was by title the chief game designer on Dirt Four, and um, yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff with Dirt Four that was actually designed in because there were things that we couldn't do for Dirt Rally, and one of the things that was probably the most exciting thing things about it was the um, the track generator, um, stage generator, for your because stage that,
0: technology, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So that the on paper. Was the perfect solution to a rally game because rally is all about not knowing what's around the next corner and having to listen to your co-driver, yeah. and so your stage was our was our attempt at that solution. And I think, um, still in theory, it is the perfect solution to a rally game. And I've seen it actually in um, working firsthand, and that was like um, when we did the esports competition for Dirt Four. Mm. The drivers had never seen the rally stage that they got to play, um, so they were genuinely competing on a new track because they'd never played it before. They'd, they'd experienced the corners as part of the as part of the system, but they'd never seen it in that order before. And it 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 was a uh, a big separator between the guys that just sat there and practiced time and time and time and time again, and the guys who were just naturally gifted at, at controlling a car So. I, th- I hope that this isn't the end for your stage, and that, that there is an opportunity to develop it out further in the future. But it was incredibly expensive, and the results were not as, um, I guess, as excellent as we'd hoped they would be. Yeah, um, because you know the way that it was made was was uh, again incredible technology, but I just think it needs it needs to put a bit more of the burden on the the hardware and a bit less on the people making the stages yes. because essentially what we were asking our level designers and artists to do was to make five times as much track for uh, half the amount of uniqueness or even a quarter. so the effort involved was far too much on the production of it rather than on the hardware if you could genuinely make it procedural and have the tracks um built in the software by the hardware then I think it would be a much better solution and then it would be up to players to generate until they find stages that they loved and then be able to save and share them uh, rather than it just being um how many different ways can you make the scale electrics track work
0: and i guess it's a form of as you guys were doing with dirt rally and so on it was a form of breaking the mold and trying something new and thinking and and indeed people were people who played dirt rally 1.0 and loved dirt rally 1.0 were ca- crying out for more tracks i mean i i even now i have to come back to dirt rally because i've been doing other things but if i was to drive the uh, sweet lamb or way we- sweet lamb or grease or i just know all the all the corners you know and mm-hmm. in reverse so to speak and i guess the the Your stage technology was um, adre- uh, uh, trying to address that in an interesting way but is it so that in 2.0 the the the, the tracks are um bespoke did the, the guys go out and do a recce and take photographs i mean like you did with the with, i mean the the calder torini in monaco that you have in rally 1.0 that's pretty much as the track is isn't it so
1: yeah i mean wherever possible uh, we do go out if not then we send out to do the um capture for us and then we we represent the stretches of road as closely as possible Yep. um so uh, there are always differences um some of that is born out of necessity and some of that is born out of uh, design but um yeah it's you know it's what making bespoke tracks allows you to do is create sections of road that are um very well crafted to ensure that the player gets the best challenge out of those sections of road um with a procedural system you up needing to compromise how crafted sections are because the more crafted they are the more recognizable they are obviously you're driving down the same piece of road again so um there are pros and cons to both i think where we were for dirt rally 2 when i left Mm. it was far more sensible to be doing bespoke stages and making them the best rally stages that had ever been seen in any video game than it was to try and uh, hope that the procedural stuff could suddenly become that much better. Because mm-hmm. I don't think the leap forward that it would have needed would have been feasible in the time that we had available. But maybe, and I, I this is just speaking completely hypothetically now, maybe when the hardware gets better, the opportunity to do more um, interesting things with a procedural system will become available.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting concept and I guess uh, your stage 2.0 so to speak if you could if I can put it that way. So Paul, you're now the moving on to the f- future and current. You're now the creative director at Nordius Mobile Games and you're based in Belgrade in Serbia. So um would you like to discuss your role there? I'm interested to see your role there and how did this uh, role in Serbia come about? Might I ask?
1: So it came about because um, a, a friend of mine, who uh, was the art director while I was um, pro- while we were prototyping Dirt, um, which then became Dirt Rally,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, got an opportunity to come out here and started last September. And he had a lot of positive things to say about the company, the philosophy, uh, the people that are working there. Um, and so um, I was like, okay, yeah, well, I'll, I'll see. And, you know, I at the time, I wasn't in a particularly good place back in the UK. Um, my wife was not very well, and um, we weren't particularly happy with how things were going politics and stuff so we would we were feeling a little bit uncomfortable with life there yeah
2: um
1: it wasn't really somewhere where i wanted my son or where we wanted our son to be growing up um certainly in the short term so you know we we were interested in options and i went along and chatted with them and um the amazing thing about noise is that um the company is built around um a that they made um, eight years ago. They released a game on, on Facebook um, called Top Eleven, which is a football management game. Yes. Uh, it's since been released on on mobile and on other platforms, uh, but it, it's it's just a really good football management game, but one that makes them a lot of money. Yeah. And these guys could have just ridden off into the sunset. The, the four guys that made it originally, the founders, they could have just ridden off into the sunset mm. um, board super yachts and and retired at the age of 28. But what they actually decided to do was build a video game industry in their home country Mm. um, and develop a a company that has an incredible philosophy. They're super philanthropic, so they they provide life-saving equipment to local hospitals. They support charities uh, wherever possible in the local area. Yeah. Um they're working with universities to help um, further the education to make sure that kids that are
2: graduating have an opportunity to come and work in games. Yeah. So the,
1: the reason I was excited by it was because of the incredible positivity that surrounded the founders and, and therefore the company that they formed, the fact that they were looking forward and not backward, um, and the fact that um Serbia as a country has been um kind of somewhat held back in terms of the wider world, but it is now growing. It's a it's a country that is showing huge potential. And um yes, as with all countries that aren't um uh, or haven't been as uh free to develop as as others, um, they have things that are still a little bit Backward, yeah. but the positivity around all the stuff that is growing is so far outweighs any of the negative stuff that um, my wife and I sort of looked at the opportunity and, and figured it was absolutely the right thing for us to do um, mostly because if we didn't we didn't want to be sat there in three years time in the UK and regretting the choices that we'd made mm. so we kind of uh, shoved all of our stuff in a truck and, and came over um, what I am doing at nordius uh, I can't speak about project specifics but one of the key things I'm trying to help them with is um, helping them um, grow design and creativity within, within the company and I'm doing that hand in hand with Harvey who's um, uh, my art director who, uh, work, who I worked with before. Um, and it's it's essentially a uh, because Nordius is a company that's kind of founded on uh, engineering and engineering principles. Um, they've got incredible engineers there, engineers being uh, another term for programmers. Yeah. That um, they didn't really have the sort of design leadership and art leadership that that you need to have that perfect kind of scenario of making great games. Yeah. Um, because you can have all the programmers in the world, but without without some um vision being held and without some art to wrap around it it's always going to fall short compared to um the whole kind of um shebang so yeah we're, we're out here to, to help um from a perspective with that but also to make great successful games that will hopefully continue to grow an audience and make it um even bigger and yeah. and become this kind of hub for games development over in Eastern Europe, um, that will hopefully um, be of huge appeal to people all around the world. I mean, you know, there's plenty of places I can think of where people now go and work because they are hubs for, for that sort of industry. And, and we see there being a great opportunity to, to do that here. So it's, it's um, some of it was related around families, furthering my journey through my career and looking at it from okay it's not that i felt like i i was done with rally or i was done with the genre i would you know i still feel like there's stuff that i i haven't done that i'd love to do in rally as a genre but in terms of career development and taking my career to the next level and using my experience and knowledge to help grow other people's careers it was an incredible opportunity and as a company, Nordius really look after their staff. Um, mm. it's so three examples that I can give you of things that have been very different for me. One, uh, I get breakfast and lunch just given that, like, on hand, they've, they've got a cafeteria, so I don't have to worry about feeding myself throughout the day. So, all of that's really cool. Um, two, they do this thing where you don't have um, a holiday. Uh, restriction so if i needed to i could take as much holiday as i wanted to that's not to say that i'm going to do that but they don't have the oh you've only got five days left that that that's not a thing so it's up to you to sort of self-manage your time and therefore the effort that you're putting in
2: yeah interesting but
1: what that leads mm-hmm. to is a sense of like well i'm i'm going to work as hard as i can when i am at work and then I've got, i know that i can take whatever time to be with my family when i need to. Yeah, and then the third thing that they do, which is amazing, is they take the whole company, so that's 150 people, um, for a week to um, it's team building basically. Yeah, Um, but it like we went to a Greek island, Poros, for five days, and basically in a hotel um, by the beach, um, just getting to chill out, hang out, meet people from within the never met if I hadn't have been that at the beach with them. Um, but just everybody gets the chance to chill out, stress, like de-stress. But what it means is when you go back to work, everyone's up working again and super excited to get back and, and do great things. So they've just got this really positive approach and it, it all stems from the uh, and the founders being incredibly generous with the money that they've made from their incredibly successful game and, and wanting to grow something from it rather than just wanting to become richer. So, um, yeah, it's it's a super cool place to work. Serbia is an amazing country. Uh, everyone thinks it's really cold, but it's still 25 degrees out here. Yeah. Uh, it will get cold in the winter, but it's like winter is short and harsh. Yeah. Um, but then you get between 25 and 40 degrees for the rest of the year, so it's nice and warm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're having a great time out here.
0: Yeah, I was in that part of the world with the family you know, during the summer. I was f- mm. north of you. I was in Slovakia. I was in the east of Slovakia. I have some, some yeah. very good friends here, and I guess it's like a hub. It's like what Supercell are, for example, doing here in Finland, and indeed what like Rimac are doing in uh, Croatia. They have a there's a good series I'll link to in the video description about Rimac, the auto technology company who want to develop their own electric car, but they've been making components for uh, for Aston Martin and Koenigsegg and uh, they got they got investment from the Middle East and the guy wanted them to move out the investors wanted them to move and he said no no I want to keep it here in Croatia and that's what what they're doing and so they can kind of feedback so uh, one one question is there is there a single is there a single element of way or way of working that you you had that you liked at at uh, Code Masters working on the Dirt Games that you've then you've you've brought to crew to Serbia to teach at Nordius is there a is there a kind of a methodology or is is there one thing you could put your finger on that you maybe learned at Codemasters Masters or developed at Code Masters that you've brought to Nordi- Nordius that helps them in the way how they work?
1: So yes and no. I think yes. Some like I've experienced a lot of different ways of working. Mm. Um, Even in my time at Cody's, there were a lot of different fees applied to uh, development, be it from the traditional old school waterfall where you finish a task and then you move on to the next task, all the way through to um, perceived agile, although I never think it was truly agile. Um, the, The key thing that I like to do from a design perspective is to make sure that the documentation is as lightweight as it can be while providing as much information as is needed yep. rather than massively over-documenting stuff and then people not reading it or not providing enough information and people not being able to quickly and effectively make the thing that you need them to make. So that's all stuff that I'm trying to bring over, but it's it's all in a very different context now. The way mobile games get made is far more rapid. Yes. It's much less upfront um investment um certainly from a a game side so um there are things that i would have considered absolutely part of my essential toolkit which i've left at the door um the other things that i was particularly i guess versed at from working at codes i'm not going to say skilled at because i don't i don't believe i'm particularly skilled at anything but it's knowing what feels right yeah um and that's something that you can only really get once you've felt something good and then you've seen it carry through into being successful Mm. um and there's only four people at nordius that really have that so there's i had i up until last week i hadn't had that moment and then this last week we had it and i had to sit the team down and i was like this is what it feels like and you might not know this now but remember this moment because in however many months time when we're all wondering about whether this was the right thing to do um just remember this day because it it, it was one of those kind of pivotal moments where you're like actually this is really cool we should continue on this path so it's it's just being there to to share that what that feels like to people who haven't felt like that
0: makes sense. <laughs> yeah. No, no, a, le- a learning experience on, on both sides. And you, you've you been there only a relatively short while since June, but is there anything, if you were to return to Codemaster someday, is there anything you've learned at Nordius that you would take back with you to the UK?
1: Um, I'd certainly recommend that they take away from a five day team on a Greek island, but
2: I'm
1: not sure whether that that's something. <laughs> a- yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah just. Uh, i think a lot of it comes from um how well you can treat people yeah um and it doesn't necessarily need to be about money to do that the money definitely helps being able to feed people um being able to provide them with um whatever support they need a lot of that is financial but some of it just comes from you know making the call and it, it, it obviously becomes harder when these bigger, but there's no reason why you can't do some of the stuff. Um, and I know that, you know, this isn't to say that Cody's was like um, bad at this stuff. They, they, they have been through tough times and they've managed to keep they things have, running. Indeed, and they've only okay. done that through yeah. careful management of resources. Yeah. And when things start to get better, around about the time that Dirt Rally came out and the Formula One's game started doing well again. Um, they did do things to improve uh, the work-life balance and it yeah. did feel like a better place to work. So uh, sure, there's always things you learn wherever you go in life and at work. And if I was ever to learn, um, whether they'd have me back or not, I don't know. But if I was, of course there's stuff that I would, I would be keen to, to bring back and, um, and use to the benefit of everyone. But right now my life is here. Um, my family are here, my work is here, and um, I'm actually looking forward to playing a dirt game that I didn't have to work on all the way through to completion. You know, and play it out of the box and experience it firsthand um, because I haven't done that since 2004.
0: No, since your college days. so looking at it from yeah. the other side of the fence, so to speak. So, uh, a final point, and we'll close. Uh, uh, Paul, are you still active in rally and co-driving and have you been able to do something I- in Serbia or do you need to travel back to the UK to possibly compete, um, with John or whoever are, uh, and are you still f- currently following the WRC or, and what are your thoughts on how rally is now?
1: So I am, uh, but probably not as avidly as I did when I was working on it, mm. um, in serbia i certainly haven't got a gig driving out here my current license situation is that i think i'm one race away from being able to apply for my international license back in the uk which would then allow me to co-drive over here yeah um but i still need to do that one event and that will almost entirely be on John to get the car ready and say when he wants to do another event because okay um Luke Harvey who I also did some co-driving with another uh community member from from the Dirt days yeah he's uh sold he so we went off and did a couple of well we did um a single venue and then we did a stage rally and the stage rally we Knack at the car, and it never really recovered from it. Just by virtue of the fact that it was a gravel rally, and you know that's not always conducive to a Peugeot one hundred and six and how it holds together. Yeah. Um, so John's kind of my only hope right now. um and that, that will hopefully, with a with a race finish, open the door to being able to. To do my bars test and and get the international license, and then then maybe we can talk about doing an event in Serbia. But I do need to check them out because they feel like they're quite kind of um, Italian tarmac style events here, so quite windy mountain roads, um, which will be fun to do. I, it just won't be rallying in the way that I know it, <laughs> sliding around on the gravel.
0: Is there is there an active rally scene there? Um, in that part of the world Um,
1: I wouldn't go as far as saying massively active They've kind of blended rally and hill climb over here uh, a little bit and because it's like the Balkans are made up of a lot of different states there's like a I think there's a Balkan championship where they visit all of the different countries within the Balkans Um, I know that there is a Belgrade rally in May so I'm definitely going to check that out Um, and then I think yeah, the, the trouble is, it all sounds so close, but there's a rally in um, Sofia, I think.
2: Yeah.
1: And it was this weekend, and I looked at it, and it was like a 6 to get there. So I was like, oh, it's right next door. And then I looked at Google Maps, and it was like, actually, that's going to take you six hours to get there. So I think I need to do the logistic planning a little bit better and, and go from there.
0: And have you been fa- – I've I have to admit, I've kind of fallen behind on the – Current WRC and uh, so I, I took up WRC Plus, which I can recommend to people. By the way, it's a great service, and I've, I've saw that Seb Loeb, Sebastian Loeb is back at least as as far as I have gotten in this year's season. And indeed, I see that Sebastian Ogier, Ogier has signed to do Citroen. I think in 2019. So have you been following um, the current WRC championship, and what's what your feeling on that right now?
1: So, um, I have been keeping one eye on it. Um, I know that um, results have gone pretty well for Ogier today, but I think he's still a little bit off being able to, yeah, beat Neuville. I haven't actually seen the updated um, championship results, but but yeah, I mean, it what's cool about this, this and actually last season to a certain extent is the fact that there isn't that clear runaway winner. And it's something that when VW were running and and when Loeb was running with Citroen, yes. there was always that like, well, it's only going to be a matter of how much they're going to win by rather than if they're going to Whereas it seems like Toyota, Ford and Hyundai are all there or thereabouts. Citroen probably a little bit further back. Um, although that may well change, um, with Oji moving there um, next year, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's more interesting, but then it's less um, easy to be able to watch. You yeah, have to really proactively seek it out. Fortunately, I still get most sports TV here, so I can watch like highlight package stuff um, in English. So you know, the, I do still get my fill of um, WRC and rallycross and 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 the rest um but yeah I, what i would hoped was with a more interesting championship race it would actually inspire me to to watch it a bit more but i mm. just I find the the way that they cover it just makes it a little bit tougher to actually enjoy um so i've struggled a little bit in that regard but but yeah we'll we'll see um i think the how this year goes with with obviously spain and australia left to go will be interesting in terms of how exciting it can be for the future
0: yeah exactly interesting times and i think perhaps the in inadvertently in a way the 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 removal or or volkswagen's pull, pulling out shall we say was a good thing for the sport in a way because it meant that OJ moved to ford and m sport and and then it kind of shook shook up the things a bit and made it more perhaps even more more interesting to watch so because it had been of a kind of a one horse race so to speak with and and even what from watching the earlier stages like Monaco Monaco and Sweden so you can see the I could see already the, the frustration in Osier's voice that he's kind of you know t- still trying to achieve that he has this drive to win but it's it's not happening and then Thierry Nerville having having issues in mexico and and in that way i've been following other sports i've been like i've been playing other simulators to set a course and or factor and i'd been looking at gt races and so on and races of a certain format sprint races endurance races because i've lear- like from starting with with learning and I, I will say directly from you about rally and then about motoring. I have learned so much more. And when I when I come back to rally, when I come back to rally again, it's so fresh. It's just so different because it's just it's the stages can be so brutal. It's a different form. It's still motorsport, and the te- technologies are the same. And I I I think it's fair to say I know some. Un, I understand so much more. But to come back to it now, I find it interesting to watch because. It's so different, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's, um, I think when you have an appreciation of what it's like on stage, it's more interesting to watch. Yeah. Um, I think, and it, it's similar to sports like cricket, for example, where if you've played cricket, you kind of get the rules, you kind of understand the ebb and the flow of the game, and therefore it becomes a bit more... Like you can, you can kind of feel what the players are going through, and you understand how the game is is progressing, and and that is definitely um, of benefit with rally, especially now that the, although they're quicker, they're probably less exciting to watch. Um, you know, some of the some of the footage that you used to see of McRae and Science and and Co. Mm. throwing cars through stages in the Group A. Area were just unbelievable and you know that that notion of throwing the car sideways is the is the quick way um has been somewhat lost um with the way the technology has advanced so the the actual act of the car going down the stage is perhaps a little less interesting to watch so i think it it then becomes a, a that's
0: a good point being yeah. able
1: being able to know how skilled that driver is being in order to keep the car on the road that then becomes like a, actually this is interesting because mm. he is doing a great job or you, you can spot when a driver is really pushing Yeah, and it's that kind of nuance that comes across however from a how do you get people who haven't experienced driving a rally car even in the virtual world interested in watching rallying as a spectator sport it's a really tough ask and it's where rallycross has this perfect sort of well because it's short, sharp races. Um, they're they're always uh, high energy and full of action. And um, the only slight challenge with rallycross is how challenging the the event format can be to understand. So this notion of getting points for your position in the qualifying rounds and how those points then convert to temperature points at halfway point, and then you go into the sem- and final knockout and that's what becomes complicated about it but the racing itself on face value is incredible
0: yeah and the, like you said this this heat based concept and then the joker and so on and it takes a while to kind of get into it and indeed it takes a while to get into the rally as well and i like i watch i can see like um oitanak seems to be an upcoming star and and I, I'd, I'd like to see Thierry Neville and Oitanic, for example, do well someday. And it's interesting to see. And you you do, after a while, you get to know the the faces and the personalities. In particular, like when Oitanic this year had moved from M Sport Ford over to Toyota. Paul, it's been wonderful to hear your voice. And I'm glad to hear that you're you're doing well. And congratulations on the new role, by the way, and the move to Serbia. It sounds like you're doing well. And it's been a positive move overall and uh, I want to thank you for joining the show because as I said in the beginning the Dirt Rally was kind of the inspiration for me to get a wheel and go from there and from that I moved on to other things and I, I, tried, I tried to keep in contact with you in between and then, then when they started tweeting 2.0 last week it kind of brought it all back so to speak and <laughs> <laughs> i I messaged you and then you were like well i'm not there anymore and I, I i was thinking oh you moron i should have of course checked your profile and then i realized you're 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 with nordius in belgrade and i'm thinking hold on what's this is all about because this is even more interesting but the fact that you've that yet you've moved you know so so it's great it's great to hear your voice hopefully uh lee lee williams will have a listen in and the guys back in cody's and um It's great to hear that you're doing well and enjoying what you're doing first and foremost, and that's what you seem to be doing. And thanks very much for joining.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: This audio podcast is available on YouTube, iTunes, and Google Play, or you can download and listen to an MP3 audio file from my website or add the RSS feed to your podcast player. If you're listening to the podcast on iTunes, I would appreciate a rating and a review. And on YouTube, subscribe to the channel and click the notification bell icon. If you enjoy an episode, a like is always welcome, as are any comments or questions you may have, which you can add in the comment section below each episode. Thank you. Cheers. Although, uh, if if people don't like, they're going straight down into David Jones' locker, so they better click the like button. Is that the is that the outro music? Do 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 do, do, do.